Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So tonight we're going to speak a bit about the heart that follows Jesus. And for those of you who are new here, we're busy with a small sermon series on discipleship called Follow Me. You know, that is the call to Jesus, to his disciples, you know, come and follow me. And if you've missed the first one that was last week, um, you can go and catch that on our website or on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We have the sermons up there and, and you can go and listen to that if you feel like you're missing out and if you have FOMO in that area. And yeah, I'm just really excited for tonight. You know, discipleship is something very close to my heart because that is what Jesus has called us to. And in Mark Twain, he, he has this quote that says that there's two significant days in someone's life, and that is the day that he is born and the day that he finds out why. You know, why was I, why was I born? What am I to do here? And why we are here is to be disciples of Jesus, to follow him, to know him, become like him, and live out the purpose that he has for our lives. That is why we are here. You know, and many times across you know, generations, there's been a different idea of what discipleship is and what discipleship is not. And I just want to ask you, you know, quickly where we're sitting there tonight, if you look back at your walk as a disciple, you know, your journey with Jesus, at what times of that journey would you say you felt like you were living a holy life? And then at, at what times would you say that you are not living a holy life? You know, or maybe to phrase it a bit differently, when would you say you felt close to Jesus and you were in a space that you could come to Jesus with boldness. You know, I, I feel accepted by God, and I feel that I can draw near to Him, and that's okay. You know, and when was the areas where that was difficult for you? You know, it's difficult for me to draw near to Jesus, to feel that I'm accepted. Um, I feel a bit of a resistance. You know, who can maybe identify an area like that that, that they've gone through? You know, or, or maybe what would you define a good disciple to be? You know, if you look at the life of someone, you know, what, what would you say makes them a good disciple and what makes them a bad disciple? You see, because the shift that has happened in the modern church is that we proclaim to people that when you are a disciple of Jesus, the expectation is that you should stop doing certain things. You know, that is the main focus. There's certain things that you were busy with and you should stop doing that. That will make you Holy or righteous. You know, and we, we spend so much time trying to be more holy out of our own strength that it just leads to us being burnt out and feeling either that we cannot draw near to God because we, we know that we're not quite making it out of our own strength or we become prideful thinking that we do actually make it. And that is a bit more of a dangerous place than the first. But, but we try to focus so much on not doing certain things. And that was never what Christianity was meant to be or what following Jesus was meant to be. You see, he came to call us to follow him and not to stop following something else. You know, he didn't come and say, believe in me and stop doing those things. He said, no, follow me. There's certain things that I want you to do, that I want you to pursue. You know, with the focus being that as we follow Jesus and as we desire to know him more, automatically we would stop doing certain other things. If we live to love God and love people, automatically we would stop hating other people, judging, envying, striving. 
you know, those things would automatically go away. But the focus is not so much to stop doing that, then it is to love God and to love people. You know, and we're going to look at the life of, of Paul this morning, and I really trust God that He's going to shift some of our hearts tonight. And, um, you know, Paul writes in Philippians 3, and he speaks about certain things that has changed in his life, you know, certain heart shifts that he's made throughout his journey and where he's now following Jesus. And I, I want to give us three points tonight that I really trust, you know, is going to help us make that heart shifts and to follow God out of a place of freedom you know, and willingness to become like him and to name. So you can read with me on the screens. Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining towards the goal that lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And I just love how, how Paul ends it all there. You know, we're busy with this sermon series called Follow Me. And he knows also that a certain part of, of the end goal is for other people to follow us as well. You know, he writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, and we should always remember that in following Jesus, you know, if you, if you have kids, they, they're supposed to be your primary disciples. The example that you set for them, they will imitate and they will follow. You know, and you, you want to come to a place where you tell people, you know, don't do what I say, but, but do as you see me do. You know, there's no contradiction between that. And that's the lovely thing about Jesus' life. Everything he said, he also did. And it's easy to follow someone like that. And just before we begin, I just want to um, create a bit of a context around this speech. You know, when we look at verse 2 and 3, it says there, look out for the dogs, those uh, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You know, speaking about the Pharisees, the, the circumcision party. 
And when he says there in verse 3, we are the circumcision worshipped by the Spirit of God and put glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's not speaking about the physical circumcision. He's speaking about the circumcision of the heart. You know, because as we read through this, this passage, you know, the Afrikaans says that I see all as waardeloos, as verwerpelik. You know, I consider everything as worthless and as garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus. You know, and as we read through the passage and, and see that he counts all things lost, it's important for us to, to know what Paul is actually speaking about. You know, because he's not speaking, you know, we might read that and, and say, okay, yo, now he says, I count all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ, so must I now count my family lost for, for the sake of knowing Christ? You know, my wife, my children, you know, what, what's going on here? But Paul is speaking in the context of the righteousness that is found in either the law or either in Christ. That is the context which he's writing in. So when he says he counts things lost, he's speaking about what he thought gave himself a righteousness through his own good works. You know, anything that, that he thought he lived in a certain way that pleased God, that he now counts as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And he speaks about the righteousness that is found in Jesus, a phrase prague, Afrikaans calls it, that is found in Jesus. And in that context, he's speaking about, and to give you guys just an example of something that falls into both those categories, Paul was trained as a Pharisee in the Word of God from a young age. He knew the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament. You know, so, so what he's saying, the fact that he thought that knowing the Old Testament very well and obeying the law gave him a righteousness, he now counts that as loss. But the fact that he can use the Old Testament to show the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, he counts that as very, very much of worth. He doesn't count that as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ, because through that he can know Christ. And he actually writes to Timothy and he says, I know how you have from a young age were acquainted with the sacred writings, which is able to make one wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. So that is, that is a good thing. But he's saying that if you think that that makes you worthy and that gives you a righteousness which is found outside of Christ, you better count that as loss for the sake of knowing Christ because otherwise that's going to hinder you for what you have in Jesus. So out of that context, that looks what Paul is saying here in verse 7, 8 and 9. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, and see there the reason why he counts this thing lost. You know, why, what is the aim? Where is he working to? And he says that I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And what he's busy contrasting in this the scripture is, is much easier to see in the Greek, you know, the, the proposition of, of what Paul is trying to say here, and that he's in the law and in Christ. And what he's saying is the moment we come to Jesus and we have a righteousness in Christ, we can no longer have one in the law. The two is mutually exclusive. You know, you, you, you can't try and do good works to earn God's approval, and try and find it in Jesus. You know, you have to choose one. It can't work together. Either it's through Jesus, or either it's through good works. And we have to make, you know, that shift in our minds. You know, and Paul, he didn't always have this, this look out on life, you know, like he said in the previous couple of verses. He persecuted the church of God. 
You know, he, he thought that they were getting it wrong. You can't just simply believe in this Jesus and, and claim that that's going to give you a righteousness for God. No, you must obey the law and you must try very hard. But the moment he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he made that hard shift. You know, and, and what he saw was, the reason why he counts this thing lost is because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus there on the board. So what he's saying is, anything that hinders me from coming to Jesus and getting that righteousness that is through faith, or anything that keeps me from knowing him or becoming like him, that I count as a loss. I regard that as rubbish because that is keeping me from what God has for me in Jesus. You know, there was a lot of people throughout the, the New Testament that encountered Jesus and they did not have the same response. They did not count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. You know, and Paul didn't do that as well. And the reason Paul counts it as lost because he knows that whatever he had without Jesus was in any case worthless. It wasn't worth that much. He wasn't worth that much without Jesus. And if I can give you a couple of examples of people that had a different mentality here. We read in Luke 19, verse 47, and Matthew 21, verse 15, speaking about the Pharisees. And it says here, And as he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. You know, the Afrikaans says they wanted to kill him. You know, that, that was what they, they were busy with. And it's weird to think, you know, it's as if these people encountered two different people. Surely it couldn't be the same guy. You know, that, that one, one's response is, I count everything as lost to know this guy. And the other people, they say, okay, but we want to kill this guy. We want to kill him. And then we read Matthew. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and note the things that he did, you know, he did a lot of wonderful things. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. And you know, what is so surprising is, you know, the children realize that this is the son of God. This is the one that was to come that's going to give me a righteousness. And the children realize that what they have without Jesus is worthless. This is the guy we want to praise. You know, and, and we might ask ourselves the question, you know, why, why are they so upset? Why do they want to kill him? You know, because we many times have the same response, not in wanting to kill Jesus, but being indignant at the things that Jesus asks us many times. You know, and the reason why they want to kill him is not because Jesus says, follow me. You know, because you can think that if anyone would come up to you and ask you to follow them, you, you don't, you're not going to want to kill them. You know, you might laugh at them if you think that they are unworthy of following but you're not going to be indignant or, or angry at them or want to kill them. But what Jesus is asking is not for us to simply follow him. You know, it goes as follows. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever wants to lose his life for my sake will find it. You see, that is the call of the gospel. And the reason why these people are so angry and indignant is because they think that they have a righteousness of their own. They think that they're standing with God and the good things that they have done is more of worth than what Jesus can offer them. And do you see that? How can he expect of me to lay that down? How can he say, lay down your life and follow me? Who is he to say that to me? You know, and, and 
Maybe not in the general call of God, we get indignant, but in many areas of our lives, when Jesus asks us to lay certain things down, we, we have the same response. You know, when he comes and press the buttons at, at our finances, you know, that, that is a big thing these days in our material world. Who's he to say that to me? I, I work for my money. And at the moment we get indignant about certain things, or the moment we get upset when, when we read or when God asks us to lay certain things down, we have to see that we are thinking that these things are of more worth than what Jesus can offer us. And it's a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. Whenever Jesus asks us to lay something down and we are not willing, it's because we think that this is more of worth than what Jesus has to offer for us. And look at the rich young man. Same thing happens in, in Mark chapter 10. And just to give you the context of what happens here is the rich young man, he comes running to Jesus and he falls at the feet of Jesus on his knees. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, and, and funny enough, you know, Jesus knowing his heart and, and seeing what, what, what he's thinking, he says to him, you know the law of Moses, and, and he names a couple of the laws, and he says, obey these laws. And he says to him, I've done this from childhood. You know, and what the rich young man is saying, you know, I have a righteousness of my own. That I've done. I've kept the law. Blameless. You know, I, don't, I don't do much wrong. And then we get to this piece, and it says there, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Speaking this out of love, and he knows that he's going to walk away sad, but out of love he says to him the following. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, follow me. In other words, lay down your life, take up your cross, follow me. And it says there in 22, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, what he had, he thought was of more worth than following Jesus, and he was unable to lay that down. And then we should examine our hearts that we in our lives, we have that, that same things, you know, holding us back from the call of Christ to go and follow him with all that we have. Lay that down, because I can promise you it's not of more worth in following Jesus. And in this example, Paul would have said, all material things I count as loss because it's keeping me back from following Jesus, from knowing Jesus, and becoming like Him. That is why I lay it down. That is why I count it as loss because I know what I have in Jesus. And that takes us to the first point. The heart that follows Jesus knows that without Jesus, everything is worthless. You know, and what's important for us to, to do tonight, you know, when it comes to the application of, of this point, we need to think to ourselves, what, what, what is my idea of myself? Because my idea of myself will determine what my response is when Jesus calls me to follow him. You know, when, when I think that what I am, what I am doing and what I have is of worth without Jesus, it's going to be difficult to follow him when he calls me. You know, but when I come to the realization, like Paul did, that what I have, who I am, and what I am doing without Jesus isn't worth much, and you know, it's, it's not going to remain, then it's easy to follow God. You know, because the hardship that we must make here is a hardship from thinking what we have is, is of worth without Jesus to 
We don't really have much without Jesus. And for us in our culture, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to admit, it's difficult to say, you know, that, that who I am without Jesus isn't really that much. You know, and in fact, to, to be truthful, it's nothing. You know, my possessions, my relationships, all the things that I have, if it's not found in Christ, it's not worth anything. You know, it's difficult for us to be honest because we live in a society where people accept us when we're perfect or when we pretend to be perfect. You know, I feel accepted with, at work or in friendship groups when, when I'm not that big of a, a hassle for them. You know, it looks like I have everything together and we take that same mentality to God. You know, wanting to approach God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm perfect. Yeah, I am. I, I'm bringing something of worth. You know, there's this beautiful song um, with an Afrikaans band, and if I can just translate it in English, it says, bring your empty, dirty hands, and he will wash it clean. And we need to come to the realization that that is the only thing that we can bring to Jesus, and it's dirty, empty hands. We don't have, have more to give. And the reason we realize that, we will with a smile take up our cross and follow Jesus. You know, and there's a, a similar example in in Luke 18, where Jesus speaks to, to the people, and, and again, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were there, the people that thought that they were very religious and righteous. And it says that Jesus told them a story aiming at the people who thought that they have a righteousness of their own. And he speaks about the tax collector and the Pharisee that went and prayed. And he says the Pharisee enters the temple, and he says to God, Lord, thank you that, that I'm not like that man. You know, I fast two times a week and I give a tenth of, of everything I get. That is me having a righteousness of my own. And he says the tax collector could not even lift his eyes to heaven and he beat his chest and he said, Lord, have, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And God said the tax collector walked out of there justified with righteousness. Not the Pharisee. And we need to make that shift. We need to beat our chest before God and say, Lord, have mercy, a sinner. We don't have that much to bring to you. And that is okay. And it's when we, we come to this point in our lives many times when we also think that the journey of discipleship stops. You know, we, we've now come to meet Jesus. We've given our life to Jesus. We've seen that our worth is found in Christ and we give our lives to Him. You know, and Werner had a wonderful sermon last week where he gave us four points. You know, the foundations of which we should build a life of discipleship. And that is to repent and to always keep on repenting before God, to be baptized, to be filled with the Spirit, and to join the church. And, and that is the foundation which we should build upon, but it's only the foundation we should build now upon that. And this morning I, I actually laughed because God just showed me this picture of, imagine, just quickly in your minds, you know, Jesus is walking and he's going to call his disciples to, to follow him. You know, that is the call. And he gets to the first disciples and he says, follow me. And what they do is they grab out a chair and they sit down. Because that's what we do many times. You know, what, is, what does it look like to be a disciple? What is your idea of following Jesus? It looks to me like sitting in church. Yeah, but that's not a lot of following going on. There's a lot of sitting. But not that much following. You know, and we need to know that we need to actively pursue God. Here's where the doing part comes in. You know, to aim at something. To not just sit there and look nice, which you guys do, by the way. You look real nice tonight. Um, but it's to actively follow God. And Paul actually gives us 
you know, what he's aiming at, you know, where he's going, what is his aim in life, and where we should aim to as well, and make that shift in our heart. And if we can go to the next slide, it says there in verse 10 and 11, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that speaks about when Christ comes back, you know, and we stand before him and he judges us righteous because of the work that he has done and we spend eternity with him in heaven. So Paul says what he wants to do and why he wants to do that. And he's giving us three things here. And I love what the Afrikaans says. You know, it says, all that I wish is to know Christ. That is my only wish. That is my heart's desire, to know Jesus. You know, that is the first thing that Paul speaks about here, to know him. That should be our aim. You know, and it says in John 17 verse 3, that this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And when it speaks about knowing God, it's not speaking about knowing of God. You know, the, the Greek with deinosis, it speaks about an intimate knowledge, you know, a relational knowledge, like the way a man knows his wife. You know, the Bible actually translates this, um, that the reason why Robin is pregnant is because I knew my wife. You know, that's how, that's how the Bible would, would translate it, if I can say it like that. The reason why Retif, Kari's, um, Carla's little boy, is here with us, Kari is Kari and Marla mixed so that is Karin Marla. Um, so the reason why he's here is because they knew one another. You know, and a lot of people are going to know a lot of people and there are going to be a lot of little kids here as well one day. Um, but that is what it speaks about, you know, knowing one another. And it speaks about that intimate relationship with God and knowing God. That is what Paul's desire is. And that is eternal life. And isn't that beautiful? That is eternal life, to have a relationship with God. That is what eternal life is all about. Not just to say something. And I know it starts with confessing our faith in Jesus. You know, we confess with our mouths and we believe with our hearts. As it says in Romans 10 verse 9. And that is where it starts. But then it grows into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And we're not going too much in depth tonight. I'm just going to name these points. And then the second is, he also wants to know the power of his resurrection. And that is twofold. It speaks about two things. Firstly, is here and now. The power of God working in and through us to make us more like Jesus. You know, the scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And Paul says he wants to know that power. And then secondly, it speaks about when Jesus comes back, that same power will literally raise us from the grave. And that's actually where burial started coming in. You know, the, the, the Jews that came to Christ, they wanted to, to bury the people and not cremate their bones because with what are they going to resurrect, they say. And hopefully not with that same bones. Otherwise, we're going to have a couple of weird people <laughs> walking around. But we're going to have new bodies. But that resurrection power will, will raise us from the dead. And then it says there, And may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And please, guys, just to, for all of us not to have the same Facebook um, verse tonight, that, let's not all go and say we want to share in his suffering, because I know it's very compelling. And I, I know it makes for a great Facebook post, but let's not all do that tonight. You know, let's, let's make turns. You know, let's take it 50-50. <laughs> because I know of all the verses tonight, that one sounds the best. <laughs> to share in his suffering and to become like him in his death. Amen. <laughs> you know, and, and we don't like it very much. And I actually spoke to Tanya Renette this morning, Werner's mom, when I went to drop out the drop of the, the church keys. 
And uh, she was speaking about, you know, some of the situations in her life where it's also quite challenging and difficult. And I said to her, you know, we should actually live lives whenever those situations come across our past, we're like, yes, praise God. This is opportunity to show the character of, of Christ. And because what Paul is saying is, you know, in difficult times and through times of suffering, we can actually show and be conformed to the image of, of Jesus. Because it's not in easy times where that happens. It's in difficult times. You know, one of the pastors at our pastor summit this week said that the character of Christ, you know, the fruit of the Spirit comes out the best in a situation where the opposite is present. If we want to show people the love of God, pray for God to send people that hate you across your path. Because then you can show it best. You know, and we should live with that mentality when someone comes across your path and this person really hates you, like, yes, God, now I can show him the love of Jesus. This is a great opportunity. When times come where we really struggle to be patient, we're like, yes, God, praise you. This is going to make me more like Jesus. I can show patience here. You know, that is why Peter writes that be joyful when trials and tribulations comes across your path. And the Bible says, do not be surprised either because they will come. But luckily, it will make us more like Jesus and will give us opportunity to show Jesus to the world out there. And realize also, you know, that, that all of these things is a Christianity of doing certain things. You know, it's actively pursuing something. It's not, not wanting to do something else. Paul says he doesn't want to know the ways of the world. He says, no, I want to know Christ. I don't want to stop doing certain things. I want to actively pursue this, to know Jesus, to experience his power, and to become like him. I don't want to... The, the, the greatest... You know, desire for me is not to be my old self, but the greatest desire is to be like Jesus. And by definition, I won't be like the old self, the sinful nature that desired everything that was wrong in this world. But no, it will be like Jesus. And that is where everything starts, you know, the, the desire to know him. Because look what the scripture says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And in the Afrikaans, it sounds a bit weird, you know. It says that because we truly know him, he will give us power to live a life close to him. And it sounds like they got it the wrong way there. You know, shouldn't it be because we live a life close to Jesus, we can know him? That, that sounds better. But what the Bible is trying to say here is because we have a desire to know him, because we say yes when God calls us to follow him and we have a desire to know him, he says that I will give you the power to do that. I will give you the power to follow me. You don't need to do this on your own. You don't need to try very hard to become like me. All that you need to do is to say yes to follow me and have a desire to know me. I will give you the power to do that. And that is why it's so important you know, in verse 3 of the same passage. They speak about... You know, we are the true circumcision that worship by the Spirit of God. That is, by the means that which we worship, the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And because that is the way we worship God, we have power to be near to Him and to pursue Him. And many times it's here in our Christian lives where we fall into that religious spirit, you know, trying to do things out of our own strength. And it happens a lot of times, you know, no matter how long you follow Jesus, there's times when we, we make that shift again in our hearts where we try very hard to please God. You know, because we read scriptures like 1 John 2 verse 6 here. And it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk 
in the same way in which he walked. You know, that is quite challenging, eh? And we look at certain areas of our lives and we're like, okay, but this doesn't look a lot like Jesus. You know, this is not the fruit of the Spirit that's present here. And the enemy comes and he says, yeah, okay, but do you, know, do you really know God? Because the Bible says, if you do, you should walk as he walked. And the moment we accept that lie, we move to a place where we try real hard to work and to look like Jesus so God can be pleased with us. You know, and we turn it around. God says, have a desire to know me and I will transform you into the image of my son. We try to be like his son so that he might grant us the opportunity to know him. It doesn't work that way. And God wants to come and set us free of that mentality tonight. He really wants to come and shift hearts you know, and say that, that it's, it's, it's not okay. And there's this guy, William Temple. He writes in the 1940s. And uh, he says, if you give me a play like Shakespeare or Hamlet, you know, to write that, that, that play of Shakespeare, I can't. He can. I can't. If you ask me to live a life like Jesus, I can't. Jesus can. But if the genius of Shakespeare were to come and live in me, I can do that. And if the Spirit of God would come to live in me, I can live a life like Jesus. Now, isn't that beautiful? Because that is what God says we can do. Not by our own power or strength, but because the Holy Spirit is alive and active in us. And that takes us to the second point tonight. The heart that follows Jesus has a desire to know Him and become like Him. You know, and again, our hearts need to shift here because a lot of hearts are stuck at the place of, I don't have a desire to know Him and become like Him. I have a desire for people to know me and become like me. I want to I wanna leave behind a legacy for people to remember me. You know, but if we want to leave a legacy behind for people to remember us, may it be us pointing to Jesus. May that be what they remember. And that is the shift in our hearts that need to take place. Because we've made that shift that we don't really matter that much without Jesus. He's the one that matters. He's the one that is of worth. So if they remember me, let them remember me pointing to Jesus. To know Him and to become like Him. You know, and this is the the main, you know, like, like basis of discipleship, what, it, what it's about, to know him and become like him. That is what discipleship is about. You know, and we should become like him in character and ministry, and, and we're not going to go into depth tonight. Maybe the, the next couple of weeks we'll, we'll investigate more of what that looks like. You know, when it speaks about the character of Jesus, it speaks of how he was. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, he loved people, he was compassionate, you know, he didn't envy he is jealous, but only for the spirit that dwells in us, which is amazing. And then his ministry speaks about what Jesus did, you know, to reach people and to make disciples. And, and we're going to look at that but tonight and just briefly going over this. And like I said, you know, many times we, we try so hard to do this out of our own strength. And God want to release a lot of people here tonight and want to come and shift our hearts. Because look at what Paul writes in the ne next passage. And I really want us to, to remember who's writing and what he's writing. The Apostle Paul, that had the greatest influence on the Christian movement except for Jesus, and the guy that wrote half of the New Testament, and he is busy writing the New Testament, and he writes the following. Brothers, 
I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards the the goal that lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And then he's speaking about three things here. You know, first, where, where he's heading, you know, to know Christ and, and to become like him. And he says that, you know, he's not quite there yet. You know, and I love what the, the Afrikaans says. It says, I forbeel myself nie dat ek daar is nie. And I don't imagine, I don't have this false perception that, that I'm there. And if you think you're there, you're imagining yourself. And that's what he's busy saying. You know, as a guy that had a great influence on the Christian movement. And he's also saying, I'm not there yet, and that is okay. And then a lot of us need to hear that tonight. and need to take that to heart tonight. It's okay not to be there. And we won't be there until Jesus comes back. But the other thing that he says is, all of us who are mature must think this way. We must still press on to make it our own. There should still be something in us that strive towards this goal, knowing that we're not quite there yet, but that is okay. And then, I actually laughed a bit as, as well, you know, it says there that if you think otherwise, God will, God will, God will remind you that, that that is not so. So make that shift yourself before God comes and reminds you. You know, because he's going to bring a situation over your path and something's going to happen and something's going to come out of you and you're going to realize, okay, that was not at all like Jesus. I'm not there at all. That was not very godly and Christ-like. You know, and, and that's fine. That's, that's with all of us and all of us are like that. You know, we, we, we will still sin and fall short until Christ comes back. You know, we won't quite make it. You know, maybe you look at my relationship with my wife, and I know that we never fight. I'm making a joke. We only fought once, but never again. <laughs> um, no, I'm just making a joke. You know, we, we, we know that, that that's not the case. You know, we know we fall short. We know we, we, we get angry with one another. We get irritated. And we, we don't look like Christ in every area. And that is actually okay, you know, and... And something that, that struck me is, you know, there's this story that, again, at the pastor summit this week, uh, a pastor tells us of people that invest in missionaries to send them into Africa and into India to go and reach the lost there. And what they do is they spend such a lot of time and effort, you know, to, to invest in these people, to, to get them ready, to teach them through the Bible what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to look like. And they get there after four or five years of training, and most of them, you know, if, you, if you were to guess, how long would you guess after four or five years of training, how long does it take the average missionary to get burnt out and come back? We can't go on anymore. Three months. Who was more than a year? Who thought more than a year? This is a man's. No one. So you know this happens. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> We know we get burnt out. Okay, so we don't need to illustrate that, that tonight. But three months max. Some of them stay six months, some of them nine months max. You know, they, they get burnt out. And they took a look at the life of Jesus because they asked themselves the question, you know, why was Jesus' ministry so fruitful, so productive? Why didn't he burn out? 
Why could he carry on? Except from the fact that he is God, which gives him a bit of an advantage. But, you know, what was the cycles in his life? Because he was also fully man. He'd emptied himself. You know, he speaks about this in Philippians 2. Just the, the previous chapter. You know, what, what, what did he do? What, what, what does his cycle of life look like? Why didn't he burn out? And they found the following. If you can go to the next slide. It's called the cycle of grace. And it says that when Jesus started his ministry, he heard the following words at his baptism. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was what God the Father spoke over Jesus before he did anything. He did nothing till the, up to that point. So from out of a place of acceptance, Jesus starts his ministry. And then out of that place, he spends time with the Father daily, and he gets his sustenance knowing that he is accepted by the Father, and he can draw near to the Father whenever he wants, because he's already accepted. And from out of that place, he knows that he is significant in God. And he knows that his life is a sign that points to the grace of God, and out of that, he is very fruitful and very productive. And that is why Jesus' life was so fruitful and so productive, because that was the cycle in his life. They interviewed the missionaries, or you can say the normative Christian people, and asked them, why do you burn out? What do you do? What's your aim in life? And they say, what they found is, that we try to be fruitful and productive in order for our life to have significance. And we try to sustain that so that we can be accepted by the Father. The other way around. And it breaks my heart because we're trying so hard to work, to earn what God has given freely. And then God wants to come and say tonight that you don't need to try so hard. You don't need to carry that load on your shoulders. He's already accepted you for who you are. And I get emotional because I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to try so hard to please someone so that they can accept you and you're never quite good enough. But with God, it's the other way around. We are good enough from the beginning. It says in Romans 5 verse 8 that God showed His love for us in this, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Before we did anything, before we even knew the good news of the gospel, Christ died for you. Whether you were going to accept that or not, He accepts you. He loves you. And some of us need to hear that tonight. You are accepted before you do anything. The only thing we need to do is say yes to God and have a desire to know Him. And He will do the rest of the work through us as we actively follow Him, just to be with Him for no other reason. Not to have an amazing ministry one day, not so that the power of God can flow through us. No, simply just to know Him. You know, because we sweet so easily, you know, and who of us, maybe you have, you've had this idea, you know, you, and it's a good intention, but it's just with the wrong mindset. We really want to see the power of God in and through our lives, and we really want people around us to experience the power of God. So I'm going to go fast for 40 days, and then the Holy Spirit's going to work mightily through me. You know, we think that many times, and it looks nice, and it looks okay, but it's with the wrong mentality. And God says, if you fast, do it because you just want to be near to me. Because you want to know me. I'll do the rest. I'm not saying that we shouldn't fast and, and pray to God for different reasons in our lives. I'm just saying do it with the right mentality. Out of a place of acceptance. And not because you want to be accepted. 
because it doesn't work that way. And that takes us to the third point. The heart that follows Jesus does so out of a place of acceptance. And then Paul writes in the same chapter of verse 9, and he says, I no longer try to find my righteousness through obeying the law. I'm no longer looking for acceptance in, in God's eyes through what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong. No, I find it in Jesus. It's in His righteousness that I found my freedom. You know, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Jesus came to restore what we lost. We were made in the Garden of Eden, in the presence of God, in the image of God, to live out the purpose of God. And Jesus comes and says, through my life and death on the cross, I've restored, like Garmo said, and I just confirmed that word that you brought, Garmo. I've restored you to the presence of God. I've torn the veil. There's nothing you need to do. You can come to God because of the work that I've done. And through that, I will again conform you to the image of Jesus. You will again be made in the image of God. And you can again live out the purpose that God had for your life. He has made a way. There's nothing we should strive or, or try to do out of our own power. And in a moment, we, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to that. And if that is you, please do not let pride hold you back from making that shift in your heart. Do not let shame hold you back from making that shift in your heart. God wants to come and move us to that place. And I can tell you, it is a very, very great place. It's so freeing to stop trying and doing stuff. And, you know, whenever we follow God, it says that when we are burdened and heavy laden, we should go to Jesus and we will find rest for our souls. So if you're trying to find Jesus and you're not finding rest for your souls and you feel burdensome, then you're doing it with the wrong mentality. Jesus wants to give us a light spirit. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we will find rest for our souls when we follow Jesus because he has made a way. And I just want to finish off tonight with this last slide. You know, this is what Paul says. This is what motivates him to do what he does. This is why he's aiming for that goal. And this is out of a place of where he's aiming for that goal. And he says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Isn't that beautiful? And that is the place God wants to take us to tonight. So whatever we do in life, whatever we pursue God, it's because we know he's, we're already accepted by God. We know that He already made us His own. And we can come to Him because He loves us. Not because we want Him to love us. He already does. And on that point, let's just stand and pray tonight. I can maybe just ask us, there you're standing, just, just to close your eyes and, and focus on God. And I just want to ask us this question, you know, if, if you look at your life and, and your journey of discipleship and following Jesus, you know, what is the goal? Is the goal to know Him and to become like Him? To experience the power of His resurrection? You know, when you think about the legacy that you want to leave behind, is it a picture of you standing and pointing to Jesus or are you pointing at yourself? You know, do you want people to remember you and become like you or to remember Jesus and to be like Jesus? And we need to make that 
shifts in our hearts tonight and to, to come before God and to ask Him, Lord, help us make this shift. Help us shift our hearts to a place, Lord, where our desire is to know You and become like You. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that You would come and reveal to hearts, Lord, what, what the worth is, Father, that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And I want to come and say thank You, Lord. Thank You for the times that you have taken us through situations, Lord, where you have removed some of the things where we find our identity and our comfort in, Lord, that we might see what we have in Christ alone. And I just come and pray, Lord, for you to, to shift hearts, Lord. So as we stand here, Lord, come and show us, Father, the beauty of Jesus, Lord, and what we have in him, Father. And everything that is keeping us tonight away from God and away from his presence and away from knowing him, we must make that shift that we count these things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. We need to lay that down. And another question, you know, if, if you're looking at your life and how you're following Jesus and how you're pursuing Jesus, are you doing that because you know that God loves you? Or are you doing it because you want to be loved by God? You know, for some of us, we're standing here tonight and and you really need to hear God speaking these words over you. I love you. I accept you as you are. You do not need to work. You don't need to strive. Stop trying to earn what I've given freely. And I want to ask you, now, is, is that you tonight? Do you struggle to hear those words being spoken over you? You know, I love you. Do you struggle to hear that from God? Because He's speaking that over you tonight. You are son. You are daughter. You do not need to prove anything. I love you like you are. And yes, Father, I just pray, Lord, that as we stand in here, Lord, and that you just come and affirm, Lord, afresh to hearts, Lord, the fact that you love them, Lord, that they are accepted by you, Lord, that they are sons and daughters in your house, Lord. And I just come and pray, Lord, that you just remove the heaviness from a lot of shoulders here tonight, Father, that feels that they need to perform to earn your, your love and your affection, Lord. And to earn your acceptance, Father. And I just come and break that down in the name of Jesus. And proclaim that you are loved more than you will ever know. Like Tim Keller says, we are more sinful than we can ever think, but we are more loved than we can ever imagine. God loves us as we are.